things that we were talking about, and then I'm going to go on to a different topic. Because, uh, obviously, a lot of things about it for future years. If, if you have a whole course in captures, I'm sure you cover it by other teachers, so I don't know, but uh, I'm not uh, covering everything. I'm just you know, yesterday, last week, I covered some basics, and I have some more basics to cover uh, for around half of the class today, and then I'll go on to another half topic. Uh, what I want to talk about again is I want to review two things again, and I'm going to give you two terms that I used last week, and um, I'm going to repeat them and illustrate them a little bit more. Uh, term number one uh, is Eno Ben Yomo, well, Ben Yomo or Eno Ben Yomo. These are either Ben Yomo or not a Ben Yomo. And term number two <clears throat> is No Same Tom. Bar no same time, which is abbreviated not bar not, because no same time is not. Not bar not. And uh, the thing to know is, Benyomo and Eno Benyomo is relevant not only for meat and milk, but even kosher and treif. Not bar not is a concept that only applies to meat and milk, and it does not apply to kosher and treif. So now let's give, let's give a, a few illustrations of that. We went over it last week, but I want to start with some illustrations. Let's first illustrate Eno Benyomo or Benyoma. Let's assume you have a tray pot. The pot is tray. Bacon was cooked in the pot. And now you're cooking something kosher in the pot. So it could be a tray pot, bacon, or maybe it's a fleshic pot, and now you're cooking something dairy. And the pot was not koshered. So I'm not allowed to use it, that's for sure. But what is the status of the food that is cooked in a non-kosher pot? Or what is the status of dairy that is cooked in a flation? Or what is the state of meat stuff that's cooked in a flation, in a milchit pot? So here, what's very critical to understand is that if it is more than 24 hours since the trafe was cooked in the pot, the taste that is absorbed in the pot is considered to be rancid and unfit for eating. Therefore, whatever it gives into your food, into your milchik or into your fleshik, is treated as inedible taste and therefore, you are allowed to eat the food. Okay, so again, this is a very, very important rule. Even if a pot is mamash treif, if more than 24 hours have elapsed since the treif was cooked in that pot, any food you cook in that pot can be eaten. Now again, you're not allowed to use the pot, but if you use the pot or someone else used the pot, you are allowed to eat the food even the chatzchila. You don't, you don't have to be machmer at all after the fact. So eno ben yomo just means the pot is not within 24 hours of its prohibited use. If, on the other hand, it is a ben yomo, in other words, it was used with treif within 24 hours, or you cooked meat in the pot within 24 hours, then the food that you cook or the dairy that you cook 
again, I'll get to part of it in a moment, the dairy that you took is now trace because your dairy is absorbed with the taste of meat and the taste is not rancid because it was absorbed in less than 24 hours. So you understand, if my milky food is mixed with my meaty taste and the taste is not rancid, I have a halachic mixture of meat and milk and therefore I'm not allowed to eat it. Okay, and if it was chazer, I certainly can't eat it. If I cooked uh, potatoes in a pot that chazer had been cooked within 24 hours, my potatoes have absorbed bacon. So of course I can't eat that. But that is only if it is a ben yomo. If it's an eno ben yomo, then even the bacon taste that is absorbed in the potatoes is treated as rancid, so I'm allowed to eat the potatoes. The milky taste that's absorbed into the meat is rancid, so I can eat the meat as phlegic. And the meaty taste that's absorbed into the milk is rancid, so I can eat the milky as milky. Right? Everyone understands the basic idea. Benyomo, eno benyomo, and, and it's important to understand that this applies whether you're dealing with meat and milk problems or whether you're dealing with mamash treif problems, even if something is treif because um, of chazer or, you know, whatever it is, even meat, even even beef that was not shechted is forbidden, right? That's called nevela, right? The non-kosher hamburger may come from a kosher animal, but it's still treif because it was not uh, shechted properly, okay? I'm sorry, did you have a hand up? Uh, did you want to say something? It's ben yomo when it's within 24 hours. So That's correct. That so, yeah, Ben Yomo literally means a son, S-O-N, of a day, meaning it's within the day, which is 24 oh, hours. Oh, so Ben Yomo. No, 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 so oh. ben, ben, oh, ben, Ben, the son of a day, and not the son of a day. Oh, okay, okay. That's the expression. Ben Yomo, ain't no Ben Yomo. Uh, not, not that you need to know it necessarily, but uh, in, in, in Poskim, in, in Halacha books, uh, for rabbis at least, it's often abbreviated uh, Beis Yud for Ben Yoma or Aleph Beis Yud for Eino Ben Yoma. Okay, so that's a very important thing uh, to keep in mind. Now, before I get to knot by knot, let me say right off the bat, there's a very important exception to the rule of Ben Yoma and Eino Ben Yoma. And now I'm introducing a new term, which we talked about, someone raised a question at the very end of the class, now we're going to elaborate a little bit. That's called Davar Kharif. Davar, Dalit, Vez, Reish, Davar, a thing, Kharif, Ches, Reish, Yud, a final pay. Now you know what Kharif is, whenever you order falafel, I'm sure you've ordered falafel, so the answer, mm -hmm. do you want Kharif, right? So Kharif is something very sharp. I'm sure. I, I would recommend not to. Yeah. It, depends, it depends on the person. Okay. Uh, and, and the like. Right? So, harif just means something that is very, very sharp. Now, there are a lot of shyness exactly. What is called Dabr Kharif? I'll give you a few examples that are obvious Dabr Kharif. Onions are called Kharif. Lemons are called Kharif. Uh, hot peppers, like jalapeno peppers, not not bell peppers. Bell peppers are, are very bland, but hot peppers are called kharif.
right? These are Dabar Kharif, they're very, very sharp. Now, Dabar Kharif, it is said that one of the qualities of Kharif is it can take even a rancid taste and turn it into something good, like the spiciness ramps it up. So what that means is the heter, and I'll give you some examples, the heter of Eino ben Yoma does not apply to davar charif. So let me give you an example here. I'm not, I'm not going to use a knife because a knife is a different category. Let's assume, once again, I have a chazer pot, a pot that was used to cook pork, bacon. And it was done three days ago, more than 24 hours. Okay? I'm now frying onions in my pot. Now, if I would be making spaghetti, pasta, and that's all I would be doing, that would be the heter of Eno Ben Yomo, and I'd be allowed to eat the spaghetti, right? Everyone got that, right? But if instead of just making pasta, I'm also frying onions, whether it's with pasta or without pasta, what happens is when the rancid taste in the pot gets into the onions, gets into the Dabr Kharif, Chazal tell us that one of the things that Dabr Kharif does is it revives the rancid taste, it makes it edible, so now, both my onions and my spaghetti, if I'm making, say, both, have absorbed a bacon taste that is no longer considered rancid, and therefore, I can't eat it. Now, again, make sure you understand this. Uh, the Dabr Kharif is on the receiving end. In other words, if you made bacon with onions to begin with, that, that doesn't change anything. That'll still become rancid after 24 hours, and if you cook plain spaghetti, it'll be okay. Dabr Kharif we're referring to in what you're cooking. If I cook a Dabr Kharif uh, in a treif pot, then the treif that was absorbed in the pot will become edible even after 24 hours, and therefore it will prohibit my uh, onions, including the spaghetti or anything else I'm cooking with the onions, uh, or lemon or whatever. Right? That, that is what we mean by Dabr Kharif. So by Dabr Kharif, you can look at it. There'll be other applications of Dabr Kharif, which I didn't get to yet. But one of the important exceptions of Dabr Kharif is it negates, it takes away the heter of Eino ben Yoma. Now, this also applies to meat and milk. Let's take the same example. Same, same concept. Let's assume that I had a fleshic pot but it's more than 24 hours since I cooked the fleshing. And now I'm frying onions and cheese for something. So I'm Badafka using milchik, something I'll talk about for part later. In other words, it's onions with something milchik. Now, if I would just be making the cheese, melting the cheese, it would be absorbing a rancid fleshing taste, and that's Eno Ben Yomo, and I could eat the cheese, right? But because of the Davar Kharif, that revives the rancid, meaty taste. So now my onions and cheese have absorbed a good taste. So now it's a mixture of meat and milk, so I can't eat it. You see? Uh, and the same thing the other way around. If I had a milchik pot, and now I'm frying meat with onions in that milchik pot, 
even though I didn't give you a pure pirate case, I'll get to that. You'll notice that I'm talking about a milky thing and a meaty pirate and a meaty thing and a milky pirate. Right? There's a reason. I'll get to pirate a little later. That's a little more complicated. So basically, Dover Kharif is an exception to the rule of Eino Ben Yom. That's the first. Now, Dover Kharif will be, will, will be an exception to three different Kashrus rules as we go along. But so far, we've looked at Dover Kharif as an exception to rule number one, the very important distinction between Ben Yomo and Eino Ben Yomo does not apply when the, uh, you're, you're, you're cooking a Dover, frying a Dover Kharif. Now, the truth of the matter is, uh, you do have to ask a rabbi about these because it does get very, very complicated. Even the simple example I gave you is a little complicated because some have argued that once onions are frying, it's not a Dover Kharif anymore. And, and you know this, right? Eating a raw onion is very different than eating a fried onion. When you eat a fried onion, it, uh, those of you who know are into cooking understand car caramelization, meaning to say uh, onions get sweet when they get uh, fried, uh, depending how long you do it. So there actually is a question, in my very example, is an onion called kharif. Now a lemon would be kharif. Well, no, you don't fry lemons that much, but if you bake a lemon in the pot, that would be kharif even in the cooking process. Uh, onion, there's some question when onions lose their status of kharif. But again, I'm here just to illustrate concepts, meaning the, the idea is if you understand the concepts, you'll, you'll, you'll be able to ask questions in a very intelligent manner and understand the answers. So the specifics to our onions kharif, our onions not kharif, may be a bit of a question depending how long they were fried and everything else. Uh, but, you know, as I say, uh, you still have to ask a rabbi even after this, uh, even after this, this year, but at least you understand the, the basic idea, I hope, okay? So everyone understands uh, Ben Yomo, Eino Ben Yomo, and how Davar Kharif is an exception to Eino Ben Yomo. Okay, yeah. How long does Davar Kharif last? Like if I cook a pot with like um, lemons, another 24 hours and then it's considered gone or? Yeah, 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 yeah. In other words, uh, that, that's what I meant to say before, meaning with respect to uh, a pot that absorbs a Davar Kharif, you will apply the law of Eino Ben Yomo after 24 hours. Okay, so the fact that you originally cooked it with lemon is not going to change anything for 24 hours later. But if you cook now with lemon, it will revive the taste that was considered to be rancid or, or dormant. Now, the, the net, uh, now remember, Eino Ben Yomo and Ben Yomo is not only a law about meat and milk, it's even a law about treif mamish, right? In other words, uh, that's why I, I said Eino Ben Yomo could apply to a Chazer pot, could apply to a trace pot. Okay, now, the next rule is a unique rule that only applies in meat and milk, and it has no application whatsoever with regard to trace. Okay, so this is a meat and milk unique rule. And this unique rule goes by the uh, longer phrase, no sane, four words, no sane, tam, bar, bar means son of, bar, no, I don't know why Ben Yomo, we use the Hebrew Ben, <laughs> we use the Aramaic bar, I don't know why, it's a good question, uh, bar is Aramaic for, for Ben, okay, 
but in this rule we use the uh, Aramaic, no same time, so literally, the giving of taste, bar, that is the son of the giving of taste. Now since that's a bit of a cumbersome expression, so in the Sifrei Halacha, and everyone who studies for Smicha uses this expression real quick, you just call it not bar not. Right? Not bar not. So if you were uh, going out on Shiduchim, you want to impress uh, your chassan with your knowledge of Halacha, you can, oh, did you, did you cover not bar not yet? You're learning right now. He'll be very, very impressed. Uh, so, not by not. Now again, I, again, I, I know I'm repeating myself. This is only a meat and milk rule. This is not a kashrus rule, generally. And not by not says the following. It really says second generation flashics. Meaning, here's the following: you have a piece of meat, right? The piece of meat you cook in a flashic pot in, in, a, in a pot. So the pot is a first generation from the flashix. It absorbed, right? The flashix is meat. The first absorption of taste, no same time. The first absorption of taste is in the pot. And then when you cook something in that pot, it is the second generation of absorption. In other words, essentially, something that is cooked in a flashic pot is a second generation. Now, if the second generation hits the milchik, that's exactly the problem we talked about before. Meaning, if I cook milk in a flashic pot, the even though the flashic coming into the milk is second generation, but so what? If it hits milk, so that's going to be us, right? So there's obviously no hector of second generation flashic when that second generation hits milk. Ah. But not by not is when you have a second generation flashic that goes into something tariff. So here's the example. If I cook milk in a flashic pot and it's a benyomo, so yeah. The taste of the meat is a second-generation taste because first generation went from meat to pot. Second generation went from pot to milk, but it went into milk, so that's going to be forbidden unless you have a hector of eno benyoma. But let's say that what you cooked in the fleshic pot was not milk, not cheese or milk or cream. You just cooked plain potatoes. Parv. In other words, something parv that was cooked in a flashic pot. Isn't that what's in Benyama? No, no, even if it even if it's Benyama. That's what I'm saying. This is right. Like if I did it right after. Even if you did it right after. Now understand the vocabulary here. So the parv item is described. I didn't tell you the law yet, so you can't ask me any questions. I didn't tell you what the did is. I just want to. I just want to define. I'm defining a term. A parv thing that is cooked in a flashic pot, even if the flashic pot is ben yoma, has a name. 
the parev thing is, I didn't say what the law is yet, okay? I didn't say the law. I'm just giving you a name. The name is not bar not. Now, why is the parev item called not bar not? Because it is a second generation of fleshic taste. The first generation is what the meat gave to the pot. And the second generation is what the pot gave to the parif. So the parif is a second generation that hasn't yet met the other thing. Okay? In other words, it hasn't met the milk. In other words, if, if, if the second generation would go into the milk, that would be forbidden. That would be cook, cooking milk in a fleshic pot. But this is a not bar not, which is in a parabite. In fact, if you want to add a little bit, uh, if you want, technically I can add one more word. Not bar not deheteira. It's a not bar not that has not yet become prohibited. In other words, it hasn't met up with milk. It hasn't met up with, with the, 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 opposite, the opposite force. Okay, now again, I didn't give you any law about this yet. I just want you to understand what the, what the word means, what the phrase means. Not bar not deheteira. So here, I don't want to get too confusing with Ashkenazim and Spartan, but let me just mention, because since Spartan is such a, an absolute rule here, it's worthwhile to be aware of this. Spartan take the position, very simple position, not bar not deheteira is not considered a third not, is not considered fleshic at all for any purposes. According to Spartan, a not bar not lehatera can be eaten with, uh, I, I, my example is a fleshic pot, can, can be so eaten with, did I say it was, was my, yeah, said, yeah, yeah. So you cook something, you cook something parv in a fleshic pot, you can melt cheese over it, you can have it with milk, uh, there's not obviously no waiting of six hours. According to Sparta, not bar not is too attenuated to be considered to be flacic. It is no longer flacic. It is simply parath. Even though it's ben yomo, don't confuse this. Eino ben yomo is another entry. This is even if it's ben yomo mamish. Spartan take the position, not bar not. Now again, not bar not is only a meat milk roll. If you had a, a bacon pot, no matter what you cook in the bacon pot, even if, as long as it's uh, ben yomo, it's gonna be forbidden, right? There is no not bar not. Uh, there, but by Basra Bechalov, Spartan take the position that not bar not is so attenuated, it's a weaker taste, and it no longer has the status of meat, and therefore parav is parav, you can eat parav with anything you want. You can eat it with meat if you want, or you can eat it with milk if you want. There is no, I don't know if anyone here is Spartan. Okay, so you get a certain benefit uh, from that. Yeah. Hetera means it's still permissible, meaning it didn't get hit. In other words, meat and milk becomes like forbidden only when the meat and the milk hit each other. So as long as it's part of you didn't get a trigger to make it forbidden yet. Okay, this is not by not de hetera, and do not confuse this with Eino Benyomo. This is even if the fleshic pot is Benyomo. And as you would guess, the same thing is true with dairy. If I, according to Spargin, if I cooked fish or potatoes in a dairy pot 
even if it was used with dairy less than 24 hours, it's a not bar not, and I can eat the fish with meat. Of course, eating fish with meat is another problem, right? You got to wash your mouth, etc. Okay, but that's a sakana issue. Uh, whatever, potatoes, vegetables, whatever it is, it is treated as parav. The fish is parav, the vegetables are parav, the potatoes are parav, and the like. Now, this is svardim, right? Be sure you make a note of that. This is not for Ashkenazim. Ashkenazim will be a little more complicated, but this is the psak for svardim. Now, Ashkenazim, based on the Ramah, that is the posek for Ashkenazim, right? Svardim will follow the decisions, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but basically of the Shulchan Aruch, which is Rav Yosef Karo. And in the Shulchan Aruch itself, Rav Moshe Isserus, in the generation afterwards, wrote comments which give you the difference in Ashkenazim and Svardim. So if you open up a volume of Shulchan Aruch, you'll see both Rav Yosef Karo in block letters and the Ramah, Rav Moshe Isserus, in Rashi script. And uh, as a general simplification, Svardim will follow the block letters of Rav Yosef Karo, and Ashkenazim will follow the Rashi script letters of Rav Moshe Isserlis. Again, not, I mean, not always, but this is the general, uh, general rule that's normally followed. Of course, in many cases, the Ramah does not argue with the Rav Yosef Karo, so there's no divergence. But uh, the Ramah does say for Ashkenazim, we are a little stricter by not, by not. And here's what we say. We also have a principle of not bar not. So uh, if the potatoes were made in a flation pot, uh, there are going to be some leniencies, but it's not total. You're not allowed to mix the potatoes. Mamish mix the potatoes with butter. In other words, again, the case is I cook potatoes in a fleshic pot. It's a not by not the heter. Everyone understands, right? Right? So uh, the chumrah of the Ramah is I cannot take the potatoes afterwards and mix them with butter or cottage cheese, but I don't have to wait six hours. So that's a pretty big leniency, even if it's ben yoma, which means, once again, the difference between Svardim and Ashkenazim by a not by not would be this. If I cook potatoes in a fleshic pot, that's a ben yoma. According to Svardim, I could take those potatoes and mix them with butter or cottages. According to Ashkenazim, I'm not allowed to mix them with butter or cottages. I cannot mix them and eat them directly with milk. But after I finish the potatoes, I'm allowed to have milk or ice cream without waiting six hours. Which means both like Rav Yosef Cairo and the Ramah, there is a significant leniency called not bar not dehetera. It's a very important leniency in the laws of milk and meat, but Svardim are a bit more lenient than Ashkenazim. Okay? Uh, the difference would be that according to Svardim, I could mamash eat it with milk at the same time. According to uh, Ashkenazim, I don't have to wait six hours. I don't have to wait at all, really. In other words, I could finish the potatoes 
that one could even say, possibly I could even have a glass of milk while I'm eating the potatoes. That's not so clear. But certainly after I finish the potatoes, I could have ice cream uh, for dessert. Uh, I mean, milk and ice cream for dessert. And there wouldn't be any problem even for Ashkenazim. And this is talking about if it's a ben yoma. Now, if it's both a not bar not and an eno ben yoma, let's say it's a combination of both leniencies, meaning to say, um, I'm cooking something parath and it's eno ben yoma. So then even Ashkenazim, you can take the parath thing and mix it with butter and cheese right away. Okay? Uh, so, uh, not by not, uh, we'll have no chumrah whatsoever if it's also an eno, eno ben yom. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, I remember last class we learned that, let me just want to make sure I did get it right. Yeah. Remember, we have the oven, and I like I didn't use my oven, it's different than the top, right? I, I have my oven, and I didn't use my oven in 24 hours with anything fishic, and I cooked potatoes. Right, and I take them out. Yeah. Can I cheese go bar on these potatoes? Yes. So, yeah. So, so it's a, you're asking a very good question. Uh, if I just told you, well, well, first of all, I guess a pot would be the same thing. Meaning, if it's not 24 hours, then for sure, yes, yes, you can, absolutely, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say it's possible that in an oven, even within 24 hours, Ashkenazim could do it because uh, it may not absorb from the walls of the oven. It's like a round, but it's not like touching. That's correct. That, that's that's correct. That's correct. So, uh, if it's after twenty four hours, there's absolutely no question. Okay. But but there is a swara that even within twenty four hours, I would treat the pot, the, the the stove or the oven rather yeah. different than the than a pot. That, that would be okay. a question to ask a rabbi. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Everyone. Everyone got this basically. So now I'm going to introduce the second exception to Dabr Kharif. Okay. Davar Kharif took away the leniency of Ben of Eino Ben Yomo, right? I already told you that. So now I'm going to tell you Davar Kharif takes away all the fun. Davar Kharif also takes away the leniency of not by not Dehetera. So now let me give you a concrete example of how that works. And again, I'm going to go with the, just for purposes of illustration. I'm going to go with the example that onions are dabra kharif, even though, as I indicated, fried onions may sometimes lose that status. But let, let's just go with that as an example. Let us assume that you have a flashic pot, uh, and really it makes no difference if it was used within 24 or more than 24, whatever it is, and you're cooking, not daring, you're cooking parav, parav, you're just frying onions. No dairy. Now, normally, if you would just be doing potatoes, that would be a not by not. And even if it's benyoma, uh, would be mutter, according to Ashkenazim or Spargan. But we say the same way Dabar Kharif can revive the rancid taste of Eino Benyoma, Dabar Kharif strengthens the second generation taste. So it's as if it is absorbing directly from the meat. And therefore, uh, by onions in such a situation, even according to Svardim, you would not uh, be allowed to put butter on it. However, I do have to say that you still don't have to wait six hours, meaning Dabr Kharif is a major limitation on what Svardim could do. It really doesn't change Ashkenazim that much. 
except the only difference is when it's Eino Ben Yoma. Essentially, if it's not a Dabr Kharif, you're not allowed to mix it, and you don't have to wait six. And if it is a Dabr Kharif, you're not allowed to mix it, and you don't have to wait six. So the only Maila, the only change of Dabr Kharif is it takes away Eino Ben Yoma, which was already covered. So, okay. this yeah. But for Spidem, it does make a difference. Yeah. Yes, yes, it'll take out the milk. That, that's correct. That's correct. Okay, so Dabr Kharif, in other words, I gave you two leniencies in the laws of Kashrif. One is Eino Ben Yomo, and the other is Nat Barnat. And essentially, by a Dabr Kharif, neither of those leniencies apply, except for the fact that Dabr Kharif does not make you wait six hours, which is actually an important thing to, to know. Uh, that uh, if, I, if I eat onions that were cooked in a fleshic pot, I don't have to wait six hours, but I would not be allowed to put butter or, or, or something on it, milk on it, or, or the like. Okay? Um, yeah. And again, as I say, uh, the specifics of what is a devil you sometimes have to ask. It's not always going to be so obvious. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll give you another example, which is not really not related, but, but you'll see the same type of uncertainty. I think I mentioned it, forgive me for repeating. You know, the idea of waiting six hours, this is a complicated issue. It's a well-known, you know, one of the well-known laws of kashras that most of us observe is when you eat meat, you got to wait six hours till you have milk. Now, uh, that itself is a big machlokas. Does it mean six hours? Does it mean five and a half hours? Does it mean five hours and one minute? You're in the sixth hour. There are three variations of that. Uh, and then, of course, not everybody does have a six-hour custom at all. Uh, the German minhag, the, uh, the yaki minhag, was three hours, or is three hours. And uh, they tell me the Dutch minhag, wow, to be born in Holland, is one hour, right? Uh, and and by the way, they get Rembrandt in one hour, really, all the good things. Uh, so there are different minhagim. Uh, all I can say is that if your family has a Masora that fits uh, these customs, you can follow that Masora. Well, I'm sorry, it's a tradition, a family tradition. Uh, but if you don't have a, such a tradition, you should go with six hours. It's not, uh, you, sh you shouldn't just pick and choose. Leniencies, the norm for both Ashkenazim and Sephardim, unless they Badafka have a tradition the other way, is to go six hours. But with that, you can ask a rabbi, well, it's five and a half hours, and I'm, okay, that, that I'm not going to address. Uh, there's also a strange dasiyachin, a very individual view, at uh, well, one hour is from the Zohar, but some talk about taking a nap. Very strange. Some what? say if you took a nap, that kind of accelerates. Uh, I've heard also chicken and meat is different. Well, chicken and meat is different because chicken is, is rabbinic, uh, but, but we still pass in six hours for chicken. What do you mean rabbinic? Well, meaning, meaning the Torah prohibits meat. only meat and milk. So uh, fowl, bird, and milk. Chicken, goose, duck, is rabbinic because it's confused with meat. So there could have been a basis for leniency, but, but we generally yeah. do wait six hours for uh, for both. And again, uh, there are a lot of exceptions. If you're weak, you know, if you're number for children, where we're very lenient. Uh, if you're weak and you need uh, dairy, whatever it would be for calcium. So there are many, many leniencies. This is not an absolute strict rule, but it is a rule that we try to follow. Now, the only question, now we know that this only applies if you uh, go from meat and then milk. Uh, what if you first had dairy? So we know that, generally speaking, 
you don't have to wait six hours. You should wash out your mouth and, and the like. Now, there's an exception to that, though, and that is if you eat what is called hard cheese, the, the Hebrew term, gevina kasha. Gevina kasha is treated like meat, and you have to wait six hours, whatever your measure of six hours is, five and a half, whatever the measure is, you got to wait six hours till you can have meat. What counts as hard cheese? So the question is, what is called hard cheese? So the Ramah's definition is hard cheese is cheese that has been aged for at least six months. And, you know, most commercial cheese is not a, and you, you can get six-month cheese. It's not hard to get, but the normal cheese that you get is uh, like uh, one month or whatever it is. It's not, not a big deal. Now, I told you, I think, last week that there were some rabbis in Israel that are so strict on this hard cheese thing that they say everything but cottage cheese and ricotta is hard cheese. They say uh, American cheese is hard cheese. The Israeli regular, you know, regular cheese is hard cheese, the yellow cheese. So according to them, like virtually every milk meal where you have cheese is going to require six hours till flation. Uh, in truth, uh, although some great rabbis have said this, in truth, it, it actually makes no sense to me. I mean, uh, hard cheese is something that the whole idea is that it gets stuck in your teeth because you have to, like, you know, you can get a Parmesan. If you get a hunk of Parmesan cheese, that's not grated. So you see, you're going to break your teeth, uh, biting into the Parmesan cheese. So that's called Gavina Kasha. Any cheese that you could chew, uh, you know, very, very easily is not hard. It's not hard cheese, right? Okay. So I would tell you to be make them. But another interesting cola, though, that's very interesting is even hard cheese mamish, some have said, if it is grated or it is melted, no longer has the status of hard cheese. Now, that's, uh, that's a good thing to know, because let's assume that you're making a pizza. Sorry, you said this, that if it's grated or melted? Yeah, I mean, many folks can say, if it's okay. grated or melted, because it no longer sticks in your... But the grated, I feel like... Yeah. Hmm? Like grated hard cheese, the same thing. Well, it depends how fine it is, really. Uh, okay, but, but an example would be, but, but melted, certainly you can understand that. So if you're making a pizza, and you take, uh, let's say you're doing a fancy pizza, right? Uh, faster than you get in the store. So you take a hard block of Parmesan, and you grate it over the pizza, uh, and you melt it. I say, at least if you melt it, melt it down, so some say that even hard cheese, once it's melted, has now become soft cheese. And therefore, it would not require a wait of six hours. And that, that I think, you could do something like that. Uh, maybe you're correct. Maybe if you just grated it without melting it, maybe it would be kedai to be machir. I don't eat that cheese. Yeah, but, but if, if you <laughs> melt it down in lasagna or in, in pizza, uh, you would not have to wait six hours. Does that include um, baking cheeses? Like they have those like cheese wafer factor things. True baking, you say? Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, it. Uh, in other words, once it's melted, well, because it gets it gets melted, it gets desolidified, so it's no longer considered to be hard cheese. Uh, ricotta, cottage cheese, that for sure is, is soft cheese by definition. That that you certainly don't have to wait uh, six hours, six hours for.
Okay, so uh, that's kind of uh, that that business. So the point I'm, the, reason, the, the only reason I thought of it, it has nothing to do with our topic directly, is that the same way that a dover charif might stop being a dover charif when it gets sweetened and caramelized, so hard cheese might not be hard cheese when it gets melted down. It's kind of a, an analogy in that in that particular. So what would be an example? Like the knife thing with the, a raw onion? Okay, so now, now, okay, very good. Right, so now that's a third use of Dabr Chabrit, which is a, a, a separate rule. In other words, I gave you two rules today, right? I gave you, we, we reiterated the din of Ben Yomo and Eno Ben Yomo, and Dabr Chabrit is an exception to that. And then we talked about not bar not, and Dabr Chabrit is an exception to that, although you still don't have to wait six hours, okay? Now I'm going to give you a third rule in which Dabr Kharif is also an exception. And the third rule is another leniency in the laws of Kashrus. And the leniency of the laws of Kashrus is that normally taste does not transfer without a medium of heat. Right? This is maybe the most important rule of Kashrus. If I put something in a non-kosher pot, or if I cut something with a non-kosher knife, or a non-kosher fork, or whatever it would be, if everything is cold, there's no transfer. So it's like a cliche meaning? Well, it's more than a cliche. It's cold. In other words, there's no, there's no heat at all. Meaning, meaning, what is the rule if, 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 if my mother has non-kosher utensils, and I cut up, or she cuts up apples, cucumbers, peppers, and the like. Pineapple. These are all not charif. Am I allowed to eat fruit and vegetables, or even meat and fish if they're cold, that were cut up with non-kosher implements or put, not cooked in pots, but put on non-kosher plates? Now, Allah is yes, yes, because without heat, the absorbed trait in a utensil does not go out. Even Me, you need heat on both sides. So even if it was... Well, well, yes. I mean, the, the, food, the, food, yeah, the, food, has, the food has to be hot. Meaning yeah, not the food that was used before. Right, right, right. right? Uh, yeah. Well, well, you needed heat for the fork to absorb. And then you need to... And then you need heat for it to give out. You need heat on both sides. Yeah? I mean, you need heat yeah. on both sides. Yeah. Okay? So that's a fundamental rule. There is no transference of absorbed treif or absorbed meat. Same thing with fleshic milk, right? Um, if you took a fleshic bowl and you poured cold milk and cereal in a fleshic bowl, even if it's Ben Yoma, which was used with hot fleshic soup uh, two hours ago, uh, the halacha is the milk and the cereal it can be eaten. Because without heat, yeah, it absorbed the soup through heat. But without heat and the milk, it doesn't give out. Right? So that's a fundamental rule. Right? This, is, uh, this is kind of the king of the kashrus rules, that uh, you need heat as a medium for the transfer of treif or butter, meat, or, or, or milky uh, taste. Now, exception... Davar charif, well, it takes away everything. Davar charif when combined with a knife. Now, so I'm just never ever going to put lemon and raw onions in right. my cereal. 
That, that's correct. That, that's, 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 that, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's a good idea for a lot of reasons. This would be one of them. Now, here is the scenario, and this gets us into the knife. If I have a trafe knife, meaning a knife that was used to cut hot bacon, or whatever, or a knife that was used to cut meat, hot, hot, everything was hot, so it absorbed. And I now cut an apple, a banana, a pineapple. And the knife is still hot? No, 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 no. no now, sure? now everything's cold. Now everything's cold, and I cut an apple, a pineapple, a banana, a tomato, a, pep a bell pepper, not a jalapeno pepper. Everything's kosher. I can eat it. I can eat it. Because without heat on the part of the food, it doesn't give up. But if I cut an onion, now this is a run, if I cut an onion with a trafe knife, so we say, now, this is a combination of two things. It's called davar harif, coupled with, that's what you need two factors for this one, duchta, this is Aramaic, duchta desakina. Duchta desakina, docha, pressure of the knife. So this is two things, which means actually, uh, I have good news to you, you actually can put onions in your breakfast cereal because it will I'll not, no that's correct, so <laughs> because even a double does not cause absorption from cold unless there's also pressure of a knife. Meaning the concept is when I cut the onion, so there's pressure coupled with kharifut, with sharpness, that draws out the taste. Is this like and then, of course, even if it's Eino Benyomo, because once, once you have that rule, you will apply it to even Eino Benyomo based on the other rule. Is it science? That, that's a very good question. Uh, there have been different Wait, scientific studies pressure. that yeah. have not always been able to confirm all So what's the opposite the, of cutting with pressure? There's no, the opposite is when you're not cutting, meaning so uh, let's assume onion. I just, uh, I mean, let's assume I, I cut up my onions with a par of knife, okay? And then I throw them into a fleshic bowl. Just because it's a double charit, uh, that's not going to cause absorption. The knife. Right. It has to be that the knife is fleshic. Uh, or, or some will say if the cutting board, it's interesting. The if the knife is fleshic, for sure the onions are fleshic. Now, interesting question. What if you use a parav knife to cut onions on a fleshic Cutting board. I've always, I've always so some say that's also called a pressure that the makes the onion right. That that makes the onions fleshy. It's true. Yeah, it's yeah. True. Because uh, because that's the pressure. Okay. Now even here you don't have to wait six hours, but it is fleshy that you can't mix it with butter or cheese. Yeah. But then the bowl that you throw it in is not. Say again. Then the bowl that you throw that onion in is not considered fleshy. Uh, the bowl that you. Uh, I'm sorry, did you throw the onion? Yeah, it's not going to, that's correct. It's not going to be fleshy. That's correct, yeah. Oh, so if you cut an onion with a knife? Oh, so that would also mean, okay, very good, very good. Now, that would also mean if you cut an onion with a trafe knife, the onion is trafe. That's correct. You have to throw it away uh, because the same way that, um, and even if it's Eino Benyoma, because, see, you're combining the rules. I already told you that Dover Kharif doesn't have a hetero veno Yomo. And the third Kiddush is, even without heat, even without heat, 
it conducts its taste via the idea of pressure. Uh, so these are three Dover Kharif rules. Uh, we lose the ben- we, we lose three benefits with Dover Kharif. We lose the benefit of Eno Ben Yomo. We lose the benefit, at least partially, of not by not. And we lose the benefit of absence of heat, right? Absence of heat normally does not create a kashrus problem. By a Dover Kharif it will, but only, only if there's pressure from the knife or from the board upon which you're pressing down. Yeah. So is that the thing with the pressure knife? Yeah, Dukta de Sakina. It's Aramaic. Dukta Dalibab Ches Ches Kuf does that come from the same idea of when you're shechtering an animal? It's fine if you shechter it with a single slice, but if you, the minute you put pressure, that's when it becomes trace. That's correct. Well, 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 it's not the same rule, but it's the same motion, the same motion. Okay, the same okay, pressure. Motion, it doesn't come from the same idea of like if you put down a pressure, it could cut the animal. There's nothing to do with like if you put pressure down, you cut, like nothing to do with that. Well, here, you know, here the problem of the pressure is it brings out. The, the taste uh, in the knife into the onion. You know, it, it, brings, okay. it brings out the taste, yeah. And then, I'm not sure if she just asked this, but yeah. so let's say you have a fleshy cutting board, part of knife with an onion. Does it make the, does the knife touching the onion that's touching the cutting board? Okay, so that's a good question. So, so we basically said, uh, a part of knife cutting onion on a fleshy cutting board, so the onion is fleshy. So does that right? make So the question is, has your parav knife cutting this fleshic onion, has your parav knife become a fleshic? Excellent question. And that is a huge, huge machlokas. That's a huge machlokas. <laughs> no, there's the machlokas is, does the dover charif go back into the knife? In other words, until now we were discussing the dover charif absorbing from the knife. You're raising the question, can the Dabr Kharif give back yes, into pressure. the knife? Yes, with the pressure. So that's a machlokas achronim. Uh, some achronim are lenient on it, and they say the knife is uh, parv, it remains parv. Others will treat the knife itself as being uh, What's the majority of um, I think most are machmer. Most are machmer, because okay. the Magen of Ram is machmer. Uh, but... Uh, some some rabbanu will be makel if there are extenuating circumstances and, and the like. Okay, so this is a, again the laws get complicated, but uh, they 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 are based on not not that many principles really. In other words, what happens basically is you have you know five principles, and what happens is they they get combined in different ways. So different shilas will be combinations of these different principles. So you just have to sort it out. Uh, so there isn't that much to know, but but it gets it does get confusing because you, you know you gotta combine them all at the same at the same time. Okay, yeah. And just for the sake of my notes, could you please like recap all the all the laws that we've gone through? Well, I mean, mention one. mention the principles. Maybe? Yeah, the principles. Oh, okay, so so what we did today, uh, we talked about the principle number one is Benyomo versus Eno Benyomo. Uh, principle number two is not barnat lehatera. Principle number three, I, I didn't have a Hebrew phrase for it, I just said... You, oh. Is it not barnat? Not by not, it's like... 
Not for not as uh, well, not not as abbreviation. Nun, nun tes. Yes. And then base resh bar, and then nun tes. Not by not, which is no same tam, bar no same tam. And the third principle simply is the need for heat as a conductor of taste. And then what does that mean? I didn't give you a Hebrew one. There's there's no particular Hebrew. Phrase for that. That's just kind of understood. And then I had mentioned Dover Kharif. We had mentioned three rules about Dover Kharif that qualify those three rules. One is Dover Kharif does not have the leniency of Eino Ben Yoma. Number one. Number two, Dover Kharif does not have the complete leniency of not by not, although it's still true, you don't have to wait six hours. And number three, davar charif with duchta de sakina, maybe that's not, davar charif with pressure of a knife does conduct treif or meat or milk even without heat. Okay, so that's kind of a summary of, of some of these laws of, of kashras. Now, uh, the other thing to, to keep in mind is that when you set up a kosher kitchen, your goal is to avoid a lot of these problems. Meaning, I'm, I'm giving you all sorts of scenarios, what happens if things get mixed up, okay? But ideally, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where things get mixed up and you have to ask questions, so what you should do when you set up a kitchen is, is actually much stricter. Because I'm telling you what happens when things go wrong. But ideally, it's better not to have things go wrong, right? So uh, that's why uh, sometimes <laughs> I know some teachers don't like to teach uh, women all of these details because they're afraid, you know, women will be running the kitchen and they'll, you know, they'll have mixed milk and flakes and cook everything together because, oh, you know, not by not and ain't binyomo and everything is okay. I mean, it's good to know, I think, that at the end of the day, you don't have to commit suicide if things got mixed up because a lot of times after the fact, things will be okay if they got mixed up. But, 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 but still, I do want to emphasize that one should strive very much to have as much of a separation between meat and milk as is possible, so that way these accidents aren't going to happen, because uh, they're, they're subtle. It's very easy to do something that would be catastrophic in the kitchen, like little things can make a, a difference, so you want to avoid all of those problems. So that's why you know you might be hearing in another class about how to set up a kosher kitchen, and it may sound very different to what I'm saying, but but it's not really a contradiction. Because I'm kind of giving you the, the principles, but when you set up a kitchen, we kind of go beyond that principle. Just like in the army, there's a rule I think in the U.S. Army that your car, your your gas tank always has to be three quarters full. Why is that? I, mean, I don't need three quarters of a tank because. Uh, you never know, because if you can have your tank go to the bottom. It's happened to me before. I tell you, it's scary. Ooh, I still have almost nightmares about this. Um, I had borrowed somebody's car, and in the middle of a very super busy highway, the car just stopped. And I, don't, I didn't know what happened. I didn't realize what happened. I don't know if the, the engine failed or whatever it is. And I mean, the cars are going around. Okay, whatever, it's, it's, it's a 
the scariest thing in the world because any car going just ram you, you know. And I somehow had to get out of the car, whatever it was. But what happened was, you know, I, I thought the engine blew it. The, the gas tank just, I and mean, if you're ever driving a completely empty tank, it's just uh, cars actually stop at some point. Usually you can, drive on, you can drive on fumes for a while, but there are times that a car will stop. And that's what happened. I literally. Yeah. That's what happened. Did the car get destroyed? I, no, I was thinking the car was going to get destroyed. There was another. So, Brookhaven uh, police came and they 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 towed it. And they, they towed it to the side of the road. That's my worst fear. I, I don't know why I didn't know that. I just didn't. Know. You know, you see the indicator light, but you figure you have <laughs> 10 miles or 20 miles. <laughs> it just stopped. That's my worst fear. It's my dad. He likes to wait to the last minute to get gas. Yeah. And it scares me so much. When the light turns on, I like. Yeah, well, it's good. So, that's right. the, so the army has a rule. You must have three fourths of a tank at all times. If your tank is below three fourths, you have to get it. You have to get it for That's what they said. Okay. Alrighty. So I think uh, that's more or less what I wanted to cover uh, with me uh, to know. I hope uh, you understand the general ideas and also the costuming. And uh, when we talk about uh, tovaling, again, just to repeat, tovaling kalim is not a kashrus issue. Again, it's important to conceptualize that. There is a chiyav on a person that your pots and your pans that are made of metal or glass need to be immersed in the mikvah if, only if, you bought them from a goy. If they were made by a Jew, you don't have to. But, and, and you're mechayiv, you have to do this, it's very true. It is a mitzvah, do raisa, to take your kalim to a mikvah. But the food and, and soup and liquid that is made in those pots is not treif. So as a result, if your mom made you something in a kosher pot that was not taken to a mikvah, you are allowed to eat that food. Okay, people get confused sometimes because they think if it wasn't tovel, they look at it as a kashrus problem. It is not a kashrus problem. It's a mitzvah to be tovel, but it's, it does not render the food not kosher in any way, even the chatchila. So, but does it, would it help, like, Let's say it's already been cooked in. Would it help to like tovel afterwards? Like, well, you have to be Yes. Well, you have to do that. Yeah. Just because it was used, that doesn't exempt you from being tovel. You have to be tovel. All I'm saying is, you don't have to refrain eating the food until you're tovel. You have to be tovel. That's one thing. Now, an interesting issue about being tovel. I don't know if I mentioned this yet. Uh, sometimes I didn't see it here particularly, but I, I think I've seen it in New York. Uh, stores uh, from from neighbors like Crown Heights and Borough Park, they sell pre-tovel. They say they they were already tovel everything uh, that in the store. So you buy something in the store, they already took it to the mikvah. So that sounds really nice and that sounds really convenient. But I do have to tell you, there's a very very serious shaila if that is a valid immersion, because here's the reason. Uh, the chiyav of being tovel, pots and pans, are things that are held for food preparation so if I, or food eating. So if I own a pot, I use it for cooking. When a store owns a pot, the store is not using the pot for cooking. The store is using the pot for merchandise. As a result, 
it's not yet in a situation. See, where where they, they have the right to be tovah. Now, if it would work this way, if I buy the pot, and after I buy it, the store then says, we will do you the favor, we have a mikvah in the store, and we will total it for you, that would actually be okay, because as soon as I buy it, it now becomes a pot that's going to be used for cooking, so the store can be my shaliach to be tovah. But when the store is tovah before somebody bought it, it's not yet, the technical term is, it's not yet a kli seuda. It is not yet a vessel that is used for eating or food preparation. Remember, either eating or food preparation. So one has to raise a question, Taka. One has to raise the question, because a lot of these stores actually have a mikvah in the store. Have you ever seen that in New York? They actually have a mikvah in the store itself, not for, not for people, but a mikvah for uh, utensils and, and the like. So you have to be aware of that. Now, um, another issue is, uh, a few issues. Uh, number one, uh, you cannot be tovel kalim on Shabbos or Yomtev. Even if there's an Arab, so you're not carrying, but rabbinically, it's prohibited to be tovel kalim on Shabbos or Yomtev. Well, the reason is because that's called fixing them, meaning uh, under Torah, you're not allowed to fix a utensil, so they look at immersion as fixing it because now you've made it ready to be used. And another thing that's important is that a child below bar or bas mitzvah, this, this I think a lot of people are make a mistake about, a child below bar mitzvah or bas mitzvah for a girl cannot be tovel kalim. So uh, if I have, if I have uh, because they can't be a shaliach for me, Meaning, I can't send my ten-year-old. And oh, my, guess is, my guess is a lot of people are making mistakes because, like this, uh, if if I'm chayev in a mitzvah and I'm having somebody else do it, they're acting as my shaliach. A katan below bar mitzvah cannot be a shaliach because he's not yet obligated in the mitzvah. Right, right. So as a result. Just like a katan cannot make kiddish for me, I can't have my son make kiddish, even if he has a beautiful voice. I can't have my, a, a son cannot make havdalah for his mother if he's not bar mitzvah. He can't blow shofar. So too, he can't do my obligation for me. So you have to be careful that if you're sending your, your kids to be tovel, they have to be a, a, either a 12-year-old girl or a 13-year-old boy a katan cannot uh, be tovah. And again, my, my, my guess is that there are a lot of people just don't think about that. And uh, that's a problem. That's an invalid uh, immersion of the of the kalim. Um Now, the laws of mikvah themselves are complicated. So let, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, what about, now this is not only, this is Nogaya Kalim, but it's also Nogaya even people, Anida, whatever it would be. Let's assume you're in a place that doesn't have a, a, a regular kosher mikvah. You don't have a regular kosher mikvah. Right. So is a lake good? Is a river good? Is an ocean good? Now this could be in two different scenarios. One could be, I got to be told, I got to toggle my pots and pans. And the other is, if a woman is a nita uh, and she's forbidden to her husband, 
can she go into a lake? Can she go into the ocean? Can she go into a river? And in other words, it's nogeya, both, it's relevant both to the pots and the pans, and it's relevant to a woman. And for a man as well, if the man goes to the mikvah, but for the man generally it's not an obligation, so it's not, it's not as important a, a question. So here is the basic problem. Uh, the basic problem is that the mikvah has to be, number one, a natural collection of water, either as a spring, a gushing spring, subterranean spring, and the Hebrew word for spring is mayan, just like mayanot, right? Mayanot springs, right? Or uh, it could be a, uh, a, a gathering of rainwater from the rain, which is called mikvah. But right? it can't be a man-made lake. So it can't be man-made. Now, now, stop right here. You may be asking me a question. Wait. I don't know if you ever had, ever had a chance to inspect the mikvah. But a mikvah is absolutely a bathtub. They have a spigot, they have a faucet, they fill it up and they drain it, and they fill it up and they drain it. Every mikvah you're ever going to go to is man-made water that goes through pipes. So how can I make the statement that a mikvah has to be natural water, not man-made? The answer is, and maybe this might surprise you, that Everybody who goes to the mikvah is going to the fake mikvah and not the real mikvah, because here is the way it works. There is a rule that once you have a kosher mikvah, any water that's connected to a kosher mikvah becomes kosher. Now, when you build a mikvah, the most important thing you've got to do is you've got to collect rainwater, around 2,000 gallons. And that can take a long time, particularly in Israel. But you can't have people immerse in that rainwater because then it's going to get used up in, in you know, three months and you're going to have to do it again. So what they do is nobody goes there. That's a cistern that has rainwater. The way Chabad structures the because they have two cisterns. Then there's a little hole in the wall between the cistern and a bathtub. And the bathtub, they fill and they empty and they fill and they empty and they fill and they empty and they use a faucet bringing it in. As long as you have that little hole in the wall, so the waters kiss. That's the actual term, hashaka, the kissing of the waters. Which means women and Caleb, same thing, are actually being immersed in man-made water that goes through pipes. But the reason it's kosher is because there's a hole in the wall that connects it to the cistern of rain water that is, uh, is a kosher mikvah, which means you don't actually go into the kosher mikvah. You understand why? Because it takes a long time to get that water. It doesn't go through pipes. It just, there's like holes in the roof and it collects, collects, collects. It can take a long time. And if people were to immerse in it, it would get filthy very quickly, and you'd have to drain it, and then you wouldn't have it. So nobody goes into the real mikvah. In fact, nobody even sees the real mikvah. If you were to ask to see the real mikvah, they probably wouldn't let you see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rabbanim have to have access to check it out, etc. But it's like a locked. It's locked. But that hole in the wall is so central. If you didn't have that hole in the wall, 
And every night when the mikvah is finished for the night, they put a rubber stopper in the home so the water doesn't drain out. I'll tell you cases where sometimes they forget to remove the stopper. And women, when 20 women went into the mikvah, all 20 will have to go again because without, uh, without that connection of the waters, the mikvah's not kosher. That's every single day. Every single day, they have Unless to take out the stopper, and then they put it. They plug so it back. In. The days. No, well, in the old, well, in the olden days, um, they just they, well, the, the, the different <laughs> in the olden days, they let the mikvahs be dirty. They just let let the water. They, they just kept the water. They it, kept was the water it was used and used and used. In we fact, saw the, mikvah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of mikvahs. Uh, see, the problem was in the United States. People became more fussy, and people stopped using mikvahs, so they had to develop mikvahs that were much, much cleaner and nicer than in the old time. Now, now, let's go back to lakes. So there is a concept, indeed, that a mikvah must be natural water, except we have this rule of hashaka that helps us. But that would mean a man-made lake would not be kosher. A natural lake... What does it mean? Mainly mean that the lake was built or that the water was put in? Well, 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 that's what it means. In other words, there was no lake there. They built a, a hole and then they piped in water. But what if now the majority is rainwater? So you're correct. If a, if a majority was rainwater, it might become okay. But, but you never know. Usually it's not going to be majority rainwater. If it was man-made, they're pumping in water. Now, with rivers, however, there's another problem. So lakes, you have to know, is it man-made or natural? Natural is okay. Man-made is not okay. Now, with rivers, you have another problem. And that is, even if the river is natural, most rivers are natural, but there's another halacha, that a mikvah must be stationary water and not moving water. And rivers are moving water, but... That's only true if it's a rainwater configuration. But if it's a subterranean spring, it could even be moving. So as a result, in a river, you have to know, is a majority of the water from a spring, in which case, even if it's moving, it's a kosher mikvah, or is a majority of the water from the rain, in which case, if it's moving, it would not be a kosher mikvah. And this depends on the time of year. So during the dry season, the mikvah is kosher because you assume, or the river is kosher because you assume most of the water is from the springs. In the rainy season, maybe not. Okay? So those are going to be questions that you have to, you have to uh, ask. And again, um, hopefully a rev will be able to uh, give you some advice, advice about that. Okay? So that's kind of the laws of mikvah. But as I say, in our mikvahs, actually nobody is going to the mikvah. We're going to the fake mikvah. But we have the rule of hashaka. Hashaka. Hashaka means literally kissing. The waters kiss. They touch. And therefore, if my bathtub water touches the natural water of the mikvah, it becomes part of the mikvah. Can people itself. use the Yardin River as a mikvah? So once again, it would depend uh, on the time of year. Meaning to say, during, during the rainy months, you would you might not be able to use the yardine because if most of the water is from the rain, it's moving. 
But in the summer, now you could. Actually, right now, you would be allowed to use the Yardin River as a, a mikvah. Although I, I, I don't think it's that safe. You have to be very, you have to be very careful about that because the Ardain uh, places has a fast current. In fact, that's the issue with oceans. Oh, oh, oh so what about the ocean? Now the ocean is interesting. The ocean we consider to be a spring. We actually allow a person to go to the ocean um, because the ocean is fed by a lot of underground sources. But uh, you've got to be very, very, very careful. Again, if you're tidal of pot in the ocean, it's not a big deal. You can stand near the shore and, and just put it in. But uh, when a woman has to go to the mikvah by the ocean, be very, very, very careful. I mean, you're going at night uh, and uh, whatever. You've got you to be careful. Uh, because there is, uh, I, had, I even had this experience. There is, un ever, ever have an undercurrent? Tell me, you ever have that? It is the scariest, again, the scariest yeah, in the I, world. You feel you're being pulled, and you're you're not able to. And then you have secondary panic, which makes it worse. Because you panic, you know, whatever it is. It's, uh, so there are scary things in the. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there are scary things in the. Uh, I don't go. Yeah, there are scary things in the ocean, and especially at night. Interesting, Shiloh Lahalacha. Let's mention one other thing about about ocean immersions. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the halakha is that when a woman goes to the mikvah for nida, she should not be totally alone. There should be a mikvah lady, a mikvah attendant. And that's actually a halakha, that there should be a mikvah attendant. And the reason is because if even one hair, one hair is floating, is above the water, the whole immersion is no good. So you have to have uh, an attendant who can kind of certify that every single hair is under the water. Now, the interesting halakha is what, what if uh, you're taking, you know, someone's on, in Hawaii, there's no mikvah, they're doing vacation, and the uh, wife is going to the ocean, to the mikvah. Well, now, who, who is her mikvah lady? There is no mikvah lady. It's only, so the halakha is her, her husband. Now, you do have a problem here, because uh, a husband is not supposed to see his wife uh, naked, so to speak, uh, when she's needed, especially. So the halakha is that he is allowed to be her mikvah lady. He's allowed to be uh, the attendant. Uh, so the husband is allowed to, even though that's an exception to the normal rule that wouldn't be proper uh, if they'd be at home. Uh, and uh, but once again, he also has to uh, be, uh, be her security guard as well. I mean, number one, to be sure that everything is saniyat. And number two, maybe I should call this number one, to be sure that it's safe. It has to be a very safe, uh, safe situation. So uh, you should avoid, I think, if you can't avoid going to the uh, ocean, I think that would be, that would be better. But, okay. but if you have to, it's going, it's going to be kosher. Okay. All right. Uh, any, any, uh, any questions or anything you want to bring up? Because I'm kind of, I think I'm, I'm finished with what I wanted to say. What's your favorite halacha? My favorite halacha? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have my favorite halacha. <laughs> I have to think about that. I'll tell you next, next semester. <laughs> That's not last class again. It is, my, yeah, it is the last class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, are most of you coming back? None of you are coming back? Some of you are coming back? Okay. okay. Well, uh, well, anyway, it's very nice uh, having you, and I wish you much, much Hatzlacha. Uh, you know, uh, on one hand, there's a mitzvah to live in Eretz Yisrael, but in Sifri Chasidus, we're often told that uh, there's also Eretz Yisrael in your heart, which is 
also part of your uh, yourself. So even if you're not physically here, Eretz Yisrael is within you. And I hope it'll be that way. You know, uh, they say there was a famous Hasidic, not, not famous, but a great Hasidic Rebbe, that when people would ask him uh, where he where he's from, he would say, I'm a Yid from Yerushalayim, but for the past 500 years, my family was living in Poland, New York, I live in Yerushalayim, that's, 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 where, that's where I live. And that's how we have to feel. Like this, is, uh, this is our home, and the more we yearn for it, and the more we want it, uh, the more Hashem will bring the good over again. Amen. So, do I, um, so like I have this water bottle, I'll, eat, I'll use it as like dairy meat, like, I know you can't use it like dairy meat, but like, like let's like, like I use it for like parv, and then I use it for dairy, and then if I wash it, can I use it for meat? Well, again, so, so, let, so let's look at our rules. Our rules are that unless it's davar charef, like onions, you know, just, just water, it's cold. Everything's cold, right? So yeah. everything's cold, so it doesn't absorb meat and it doesn't absorb milk. It's parv. So even if I used it with a milk meal or I used it with a meat meal, all I should do is wash it out so there's no stuff there. Wash it out with cold water first, cold. Yeah. And then if it's clean, you can use it. You can you, you can certainly uh, use the same water bottles for meat and dairy, because without cooking, it never became fleshik and it never became milk. It remains it remains parv. And remember, I mentioned last week that some people are lenient even with hot drinking glasses. Yeah, but, but, but but if it's not hot, there is absolutely no question uh, that you can use it that way. By the way, let me tell you as well that if I could help any of you by email. Uh, Feel free to contact me. Uh, some of you might have it. My email is judge5, J-U-D-G-E. Judge, like a judge. I'm not a judge, but it happens to be my email. <laughs> That's another story. Okay, J-U-D-G-E, number five, number five. And I have AOL. Uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed. At AOL.com. I'm embarrassed. Not too many people have AOL anymore. I do have a Gmail too, but I use the AOL. That's what I use. More stuff. Okay. So again, feel free. A lot of my uh, students uh, oh, email my stuff. So I'm very happy. <laughs> so I'm very happy.